0: For the next two shows, I'm going to be chatting with Danny Myrick, Kip Rains, and in part two, Jeffrey Steele's going to join us. Fifteen or so years ago, Jeffrey put together a publishing company called Three Ring Circus, and well, we were the circus. Separately, we all had a blast, but I think we had the most fun when all four of us would get in a room for a whole day, or maybe even two, and let the songs come from where and when they wanted. We wrote a lot of songs. But as we all know, everything changes, and we hadn't sat down in quite a while have to go on our separate ways well trace Atkins recently cut a song of the four of us wrote called just the way we do it Round here so amy thought we should get together via zoom and laugh and tell stories and we did and here they are it was a blast i love these guys three ring circus this show was actually amy's idea we woke up we were in nebraska at my nephew's wedding on saturday morning And I saw that thing from Jeff on Instagram about uh, Trace cutting our songs, just the way we do it, around here. And she says, you need to try to get the four of you on a podcast and see, you know, talk about that song and just talk about everything. And shoot, man, I was thinking, and correct me if I'm wrong, have the four of us been in a room together in like even the last... 10 years,
1: no,
2: I don't think so. No, uh-huh. man, because uh-uh. I, I, I don't remember. I'm thinking, I was trying to think the last time I saw you, Bart, was probably maybe like a big loud Christmas party or something. That would have been it.
0: I actually met Christy to Napoli at some place in Green Hills. Yes, and you and me spoke for at least an hour there, but I I can't even remember the name of that place. But Kip, I haven't seen you or spoke to you in forever, man. How's everybody uh, doing in the old doing the old COVID dance here? What's everybody up to?
1: Well, go, Danny. Uh, I mean, my well,
2: no, mine. um, Well, I signed a new pub deal. Um, Congrats. So, no, thank you, signed it on March 1st <laughs> and then the shutdown happened essentially like March 8th. How many songs like, have
0: you turned in so far?
2: <laughs> uh, well, that was a funny thing about it because like, you know, they had, I had been talking to them for a few months and uh, my prior publisher, um, everybody, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was the end of a deal. Everybody was on the up and up. We all knew that we were moving on, but I told the new publisher, you know, we're signing. I, I literally ended on February 28th at the last company and started March 1st with the new company. Dang. So I'm like, there's going to be no Schedule A. So we're right. just hitting the ground running right and we started filling the calendar up. And <laughs> then this happened. It's like, all right, well, maybe we maybe we change that 12-song commitment to four this year. Um, but no, you know, we kind of got into the Zoom thing. Honestly, a couple of things that were really, really cool happened. Um, I have wanted to make a record for a long time, uh, just a solo record of really kind of autobiographical, you know, personal songs and I went in, uh, cut seven songs with a band that I just loved are the right guys. And we tracked on February 12th and I was behind, you know, I was busy doing demos and writing through the end of February and I was like, hopefully I'll find some time to finish it. I don't know what I'm going to do. it. And when the shutdown happened, I suddenly had an album of stuff that needed vocals and some overdubs and that's cool. Um, yeah. So I kind of dove into that. And then I've been writing, um, yeah, man, just doing the Zoom writing thing. I've done two in-person writes, um, outdoors, and then um, we've taken two trips. And other than that, like everybody else, man, just been yeah. laying low and trying to ignore the noise and uh, live in common sense and do it, you know, do what makes sense. So. I, I wanted to make a record too, but it, it turned out I'm no good. So <laughs> I didn't Dude, do that. Oh, come on. <laughs> if that's the that's requirement, this guy's shutting down this week have You been up to Kip?
1: Well, um, I I make a living uh, doing digital editing now uh, wow. on records. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that, you may not know this, Danny didn't, but I was actually diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia in 2015.
3: <laughs> wow. And
1: so my uh, my shelter in place. Kind of started about five years ago because Gosh. because you can't you you've you've got to really be careful because of your immune system, so with covid I mean for instance, besides my next door neighbor and like waving out the front door and that sort of thing, I haven't seen another person in probably two months, maybe Man. three. Now, yeah. So it, it's um, it, it's been um, it's been quite a change, uh, actually. You both, you guys, know Jimmy Lee Sloes. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, when I got sick, I said, you know, I'm I'm going to be staying at home a lot because the whole immune system thing. And uh, Jimmy said, "Man, you gotta you gotta think about digital editing." And hmm. I said, "Cool." What's digital editing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: we so, should do a podcast about that. Wait, uh, that's, what's right. A podcast? <laughs> that's right. Podcast. That's
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, li- I had literally never opened uh, a session on Pro Tools before, so the learning curve was sharp, to say the least. Uh, but it's gone really well. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Um, yeah. Is there any? Uh
0: and you don't need to name names unless it's good or you can say whatever you want to. I don't give a crap. Is there any like (laughs) when you're tuning vocals and stuff, you find out that some people are just awful.
1: Yes. And, and, (laughs) and the, uh, but the opposite is true. People that people that you thought like one of the first things that I ever did was for you guys know, Ben Fowler.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, Yeah. uh, One of the first things I ever did was for Ben and uh, and it was the Kenny Rogers tribute concert that oh, wow. went on at Bridgestone, and I had to do all of the vocals for that. And um, and and help me, you know, you guys know my country repertoire, but Jamie Johnson, yeah, mm-hmm. Jamie Johnson, that guy was amazing. Really? I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but like. He ate the microphone, and it sounded great. I had. Very-
0: yeah, Jamie's Uh, he's an interesting couple of guys.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, as a singer, though, I tell you, as a singer, um, since he got sober, man, I mean, he's he's a dead-on
1: singer. You know, man, a, he sure was. He's catalyst, mm-hmm. but he's great. It's mm-hmm. it's funny
0: because a guy in one of my Bible studies does the same thing, a lot of tuning vocals and stuff, and I said. Don't tell me who the hardest was, but who was the easiest? And without even missing a step, he said, Reba and John Anderson. He mm. said, you can just tell they've been singing for 50 years. Yeah. And he said, yeah, they're, Re- they're, everything, their pitch is just perfect. And I was yeah. talking to him about that. And I'm sorry to be jumping on your story here. I want to get back to that. Oh. But but you think about, I mean, when you read I'm like…
1: I'm signing off. <laughs>
0: I didn't even get a chance to miss you because you won't leave. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, like like I'm wearing a Waylon T-shirt today. And you think about Waylon and Roger Miller and George Jones Mm -hmm. and those guys. And they were on the road, you know, 650 days a year. So when they came to town to make a record, they were doing three whole songs every day master vocals and harmonies and everything else. They didn't, you know, go into the studio. They didn't tune anything, man. They were just singing between packs of cigarettes and then to the next song. Yeah. And it, it's amazing. You, you know, that's encouraging, man. I like old Jamie. He's a, he's a, he's a, I'm glad he's got his stuff together.
1: Yeah. He was great. And, and Reba was on that as well. And I found the same thing. Uh, she was just, and I don't even—I don't know how they heard anything, you know, in that place. But, mm-hmm. um, but she was great as well. Yeah,
2: was it funny? Isn't it funny, Kip, coming out of the gospel world? I don't know if this was your circumstance, but I remember—I I never sang with monitors till I got up here. Really, till what? I got a record. I, no, like I like—I grew up. We had a sound system in churches. We didn't have monitors. Okay. And so, you just learn to kind of hear yourself and you know, hear the person next to you and hear the piano and kind of blend with that. And uh, you know, yeah. I have a feeling some of some of the more old school people probably learned to sing that way. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. 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 Um I, I hmm. was watching an old Beatles thing the other night, a live performance and it was just audience screaming. Yeah. And and they were dead on. And there was no tuning back then, you know. <laughs>
0: We even look at the, the Shea Stadium one. They've got those custom tuck and roll side fills that are about a 412 each, and they're playing a stadium. And that's their whole, that's their whole monitor system was those two, those two little side fills, yeah. And they just, yeah, they just knew how to do it.
2: Isn't that, one, isn't that one of the reasons they folded up shop? They were like, live audio couldn't keep up with what they were doing in the studio.
0: I wouldn't doubt that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they kind of like, you know, they, they started getting pretty experimental in the studio yeah. and live performance, you know, couldn't keep up with it.
0: It's because uh, Ableton and Pro Tools <laughs> weren't <Right>. available yet, <laughs>
2: right. which is a whole nother situation. But a whole nother that's cool with the digital editing. Um, yeah, man. It's, like, it's funny how we pivot. I was at I was in a pub deal about, I think probably now six years ago and um, it was an independent company that the money kind of ran dry and so it was like we have enough money to pay your advance and keep you on board but we don't have any demo budget mm. and so I had just bought a little inbox and started kind of learning Pro Tools and my buddy Chad Carl and I used to hang at his place all the time and just kind of got an education on Pro Tools shortcuts and yeah. So for about the next 18 months of that deal, I had to do all my demos at home. And by the end of that pub deal, I kind of knew next what you thing were doing. The- People were going, Oh, you're a track guy. I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I am. I am today. I mean, is that relative or what?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that, man. Would- be
2: good. We do all that. The- that
1: inspires confidence, here. doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they say, <laughs> We can pay your advance. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no,
2: no. No, the way this thing worked, the way I had it in my, because it was a startup company, I had this thing in my deal. If they go belly up, I'm able to own my entire back catalog for the cost of the advances. So it was a great deal. So what they had to do is they had to miss um, two consecutive advance payments. So I'm literally sitting there going, please don't pay me. Please don't pay me. (laughs) <laughs> I had three singles in this catalog, and I'm going back and have all of it. And, and they were like, "No, we're going to pay you. It's all we can do. Literally, no one else is getting paid." But we're not You're going.
1: Dang it! <laughs> 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 oh, let's. Uh,
2: so. Who's well, who's
0: your publishing deal with now, Danny?
2: So I'm with a company called Deluge, um, and this guy named David Robkin, uh, great, great dude, and Mark nice. Friedman. I might know them from – at one point, I think Mark worked with Bigger Picture. Well, no, I think David worked with Bigger Picture uh, back in the day when Jansen was there and uh, Keith Stegall. Oh, cool. Yeah, and um, anyway, man, really, really good dudes. My friend uh, Kylie Sackley has been over there for a while. And then yep. um I haven't uh, seen her
0: in forever either.
2: Yeah, she's doing great. I don't know if you know um, Chris Alderman, who's a manager here in town, but they he used to work with um, – uh, The guys who managed Rascal Flats for a bit, but anyway, Trey and those um, guys. It was well. It was with um. Yes, yes. Trey with, Turner. The, Trey Turner. Yeah. Yeah. Who was his part? Do you remember? I that do. <laughs> I can't think of his name, but <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like like I. Every time I think Turner, I think of Turner Nichols. I think of the back when when uh <laughs> Anyway, um but Chris Alderman, um, Deluge opened a a management thing and and Chris and I had worked together with some artists and, um, anyway, the timing just turned out great. And man, it's been such a fantastic thing. I, you know, we, I mentioned pivoting a while ago, we, we kind of get to a place of doing different things and, you know, the focus is different. I mean, you can't, you know, like right now, the idea of running down, chasing down music row every day is just kind of exhausting. Mm. And, uh, and to be with a publisher now who's kind of like, man, we just, we want to be in business with you and everything that you're doing and just do your thing. And it's been awesome. So. See, man,
0: I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I mean, back when, I mean, dang, man, the four of us, I, I say that as if Jeff is here, but you remember we used to sit in that back room at Windswept or we would take that trip to Memphis and sit in a room and we would finish three or four or five songs a day. And we would start seven or eight more songs in a day. And I remember getting bummed out. And that's when Amy was still working at Craig's, Craig Wiseman's. And she would come home and go, yeah, Craig's got two more singles out this week. It's like, oh man, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? And she would say, you guys, the way you're writing, you're writing as artists. You're writing for yourselves. You're not even writing for the radio. You're not trying to achieve chart success. Yes, you would like chart success. We all would like chart success. But she said, you guys are writing for two years down the road. And as it turns out, we were writing for 16 years down the road.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you know, your sweet wife's very nice way of saying, you got suck. No, she wasn't funny. saying uh, I, I hope she wasn't. I'll have to ask her about that.
0: But it was almost like, you
1: need to take a break.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> Talks amongst yourselves. No, but you know, and it, and if you look, it was almost as if instead of, trying to achieve chart success. We were almost trying to change the culture of songwriting to come to us, to where the Waylands were, the Marty Stewart's, the, uh, Roger Miller's, you know, those kind of guys, they weren't writing for chart success. Are you kidding me? They were, if they had success, they had it, but that wasn't what they were going for. They were just trying to write great songs. And it's funny, man, I started working with this young cat from Texas and I was looking at the songs that I was pitching them and all of them are from that era. And I think I've pitched him 10 and he's like going, dude, he goes, I'm not even man enough to sing half those things. And it's like, no, you're, you're crazy. It's just, there's just songs, just sing them. But the stuff that we were doing, I mean, the stuff that we threw away was fantastic. And I go back, I'll sit down here in the basement by myself (laughs) Always, always by myself. And I'll listen to that, some of those old songs. And Danny, I remember we were getting ready to head to Memphis, I think. It was the three of us. And Jeff was already going to be there or something. And we had just finished a demo, and there was 33 tracks of vocals on that song. <laughs> because... You that. were doing three parts and you were tripling everything as well as the lead vocals. That's why it was an odd number. And it's like we just took so much time, man, and, and worked so hard making those records. It almost isn't uh, a surprise that we didn't get more cuts because you know, the, the artist always wants to out sing the demos, you know, and yeah. they, there wasn't too many artists that could, I'm not trying to break our arms, patting it, ourselves
2: on you know, the back here, but the cool thing is I think what, what I think most about, it's funny you say that about spending time. What I think most about that really was not about the time. It just was instinctive. I mean, I think about, yeah. you know, we, I think about how demo sessions are done Of course, you don't have that many demo sessions today, but you know, man, we would consistently, like if you didn't get 15 songs in a triple session, it was a little bit of a disappointment. And Oh, then, yeah. I just remember over and over, I would do a 10 song double session or a 15 song triple session. And then the next day I would get all the vocals done. We were mixing on day three. Yeah. That just was how the turnaround worked. And that, you know, uh, Big Al and Leslie Satcher, they were on a whole nother level. They were like, you know, they get 20 songs in a day. Yeah. Um, Man, you know, I think, It's really funny um, to hear uh, writing with a bunch of young artists these days who are kind of realizing that the late 90s through mid 2000s, looking back, was really a golden age Mm. in country and country radio. And, you know, there was for sure, like any era, there were there were some bad songs, some dumb songs, whatever. I'm sure we wrote plenty of those, but there were plenty on the radio but I think that you were in this era, I mean, you you probably know more than any of us because you came out of the label side, but when I sit and have conversations with some of these young artists and I start naming the, you know, the Beth Nielsen Chapmans and the Matresa Bergs and the Mavericks, mm. the, the the people who had major label record deals because, you know, the Garths and the Shania's sold so many records that the label could afford. Yeah. Y'all, those, those dudes are cool. Let's sign them. And, um, so I think what gave us sort of that freedom to just chase our thing was there were so many records and so many artists with, most of them didn't write. Yeah. And, um, and now, you know, it's like probably 20% of the records being made that were being made then. And then all of the artists want to write. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a crapshoot these days. You know,
0: you mentioned Leslie Satcher. She was on here and I said, how many cuts have you had? she's had over a thousand cuts yes, but she says i'm I, i'm still looking for that number one it's like you gotta be kidding me she's never had her number one
1: but wow. yeah i'll trade her my number one <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's fascinating too man like it's funny you said you make the comment about artists not being able to sing songs um Leslie's fascinating. I've I've done several different records I've produced that I have gone and specifically just gotten a bunch of Leslie songs. Yeah, she's and, awesome, and man. Just, she's just she's an artist, man. She's just yeah. in her own world. And a lot of the artists they can't sing them. They don't have as much soul, whatever it is, you know. But you know, I mean, we look the 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 blessing for our situation is, you know, at least speaking for myself. I remember, you know, when I signed. Under three ring circus, under Jeffrey's situation, um, and the co venture man, they, you know, they were kind of uptight about demos, you know, bring your songs out. We want to prove the songs, yeah. Jeff, Jeffrey was like, Demo everything, <laughs> Dude, mm-hmm. like, just get it, do it. You know, yeah. you're
0: talking about a double or a triple or whatever. I mean, I remember between the four of us, at least two of us had a session every week, absolutely, you know, and so I remember feeling bad. Well, I didn't really feel bad, but feeling bad for like Cliffy and Steve, because not only were they holding our hands, they were listening to, they were getting forty new demos every
2: week. I don't feel sorry for those guys. Whatever. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> they had Jeffrey Steele at the at the heat of Jeffrey Steele. They're fielding phone calls at that. Man,
0: point. I remember, uh, and I'm not gonna say who I did this to but I wrote a song with somebody I don't even remember who and I took a the cd in and I handed it in and it said Bart Allman and whoever the other person was and then I put Jeffrey Steele on it and (laughs) they put it right in and cranked it and listened to it and they go you wrote this with Jeff and I go no They go well I go there's no other way to get you to listen to it if I don't put his name on it
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. My last pub deal was with Roundhill and my buddy Mark Brown, who we've worked together for about 10 years. He was the guy there. I used to tell them all the time. So they had um, Ashley Gorley and then Craig through Big Loud. And I yeah. said, can, can you not just put like Rodney Clawson or Craig Wiseman or Ashley Gorley on every song that you uh, We pitched? We can correct it once the cut happens. But you can because, correct you know, it later. I don't think we need to do that. Or, you, hey, know, G- 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 you know, I'd rather have a third of something a half of nothing. Or just right.
1: cut him in. I uh, know. Absolutely.
2: absolutely. Kip, uh, do you remember us playing, um, do you remember us playing Jeff and Steve Marklin, the glass project the first time. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> I love it.
2: Sitting in this vehicle and just going like, man, Hey, we've decided to make a record.
1: <laughs> I think Jeffrey really liked it. You know, I think Steve, obviously, because in, and, um, hats off to him because that wasn't his job you know his job was to pitch country songs yeah yeah we we hit them with a rock (laughs) project and with demo budget that's right yeah i was i was
0: laughing yesterday while thinking about this and remember i mean first of all i had so many people later on in life go man i wish you guys would have played more gigs because man we were doing that Mm -hmm. Thursday night thing. And so good and having so much fun. But I remember when we went up to uh to Indy to play for FMS and we played before Blake Shelton. And you remember I mean, between all of us we had like twelve number ones or something. So it was just hit after hit after hit after hit. And we were pretty darn good players. And he was he was headlining that night, just him and his acoustic guitar, and he was human pissed about that. <laughs> who are these guys? What are they doing? Playing all these freaking hits? I think,
2: I think Little Big Town played right behind us. This was before Boondocks. They were or like right at Boondocks. They were they were trying to make their thing happen. It must have been right after Boondocks, but that's the only hit they had. And they were great, but I, I remember the program director <laughs> going, man, these artists are so pissed. Like, who are these guys? And what, like, I didn't know you could have a cover band. Like, They're not a cover band. Right.
1: Awesome. <laughs> I think the, the gig that I remember that we did the most was at the Sutler. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's the
0: yeah. one I was thinking
2: about.
1: That was, that was a yeah. lot of fun. I think Scott Bernard came in and played yeah. with us on yeah. that. Yeah. And have you, have uh, you guys yeah. been to
2: the Suttler anytime recently? Uh-uh. Mm. Uh, man, it's, they, they completely redid it. Um, Oh yeah. I, I, I played there a couple of times after that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really, really
2: cool. But uh, still got know, the picture
1: of Nathan Bedford forest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <You can't hope. laughs>
1: It is Tennessee, my God. <laughs> but
0: now it's a statue and it's haunting Danny's room right there.
1: That's, that's <laughs> we still have no. our heroes, dude. Uh, 65.
0: No, you remember uh, oh. Scott uh, Gunner tried to put together a universal band and they played with us one time and they said, we're not playing with those guys anymore because they're killing
2: us.
3: Like, eh. <laughs> well, we had, you know, You're dang right.
2: Little, man. I mean, we, you know, that was such a fascinating time. It's it, It's funny. I I tell all these artists these days, man, like when you're in this period, like between 25 and 35, like you just, the one thing you have no idea about is how fast it goes. And Mm. it's like, um, you know, I, if I could do anything different, I remember just kind of getting lost in the time, just kind of part of it, just living in the moment, whatever. And which is great. That's part of, part of where, you know, some of the success and, and fun came from, but Man, to to be able to go back and sort of know what you know now and go, okay, these we were in a pretty special place and position to yeah. be able to really, really lock in and do some things. And some of that stuff you just don't know till later on, you know. But uh, man, what a what a great time!
0: Yeah, you'd go to a number one party, <clears throat> and the next day you'd have two co-writes, and you were doing BGVs on a session. You'd never even had time to really go, hey, this is neat.
2: Yeah, the community side of it was really, really fun, man. I mean, like yeah. you know, I, I remember at the end of Wright's, um, you know, going over to Longhorn, and I'm you know, going to grab a beer there multiple times, and you yeah. know, everybody, George Jones and George Strait there. It's like it, it's, yeah. You know, it just was kind of it was it was a, a really really special time when everything happened on those two streets, you know. Yeah. And that's and that's one of the that's one of the things that that really is missing these days. Not to anyone's fault; they just don't. They just don't really, they don't, they don't realize, you know, the, all the, yeah. the younger artists moving here, younger writers, um, they love it and it's, and it's cool, but you know, I don't want to be like old guy in the room telling all the back in the day stories, but man, it was really, really fun. There was just so much walking from place to place and everything the, over the streets. So fun.
0: early on, I was writing, <clears throat> excuse me, at universal and I don't even remember who I was writing with, but, uh, that, front desk lady said have you ever been here before i said no no i haven't this is amazing she goes well let me put let me take you to a room and then when your car rider gets here i'll tell him where you are and i went in and i just sat down on the corner of this couch and started unpacking my laptop and whatnot and she said that's right where roger miller used to love to write he would sit on that couch in that corner of the couch and he wrote so many songs that way, and I just started, you know, tearing up. It's like you got to be kidding me.
1: And I don't, I don't know if there's,
2: I don't know if there's any of that
0: reverence anymore.
2: I don't know. No, no, it was Roger Miller. <laughs> yeah. Turns out he was the janitor. My favorite, my favorite thing about Music Row right now is if you walk up 18th, there's this new condo. It's not my favorite. It's ironically my favorite place. Walking up 18th, like you know, by, you know, Virginia's market. Anyway, there's this big condo thing. And in the lobby of the condo, there's a picture, like a large, like wall-sized black and white picture from, I don't know, 1980, whatever, of that street, the Music Row. And mm. it says on the window, welcome to historic Music Row. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's historic because you tore the buildings down to put your condo there. But <laughs>
1: man. yeah go ahead kip i'm sorry yeah yeah well the i don't i don't even know if this is true or not and i don't remember where i heard the story you notice we're all saying we don't remember a lot um (laughs) who is this again uh roger miller (laughs) roger miller (laughs) yeah oh (laughs) you guys just disappeared are are we still on oh yeah yeah Okay. All right. I don't know what's happening right now, but okay. You just lost
0: two thirds more of the technology from your from your computer <laughs> than <there>, Mr. <laughs> Digital Editor. <laughs> 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 this is what they used to refer to, uh, to as okay. yeah. uh, well, you're, you're not really instilling any confidence in me as far as your technological ag- advancement goes. Just roll here. With well,
1: it. Well, be okay. <laughs> well what I wanted to say <laughs> is Roger Miller is actually right here with me.
0: Well, tell him I said hello.
1: Okay, okay. No, the, the, um, the story that I heard, uh, again, I don't know if this is true or not, but the story that I heard is that uh, Roger Miller went to Gordon's dad, um, Jerry Kennedy, and said, hey, you know, I, I need some money. I, I need some kind of advance or something. And <clears throat> Jerry said, well, you're gonna have to turn in some more songs and I think I can get you a thousand dollars and um literally it was either the next day or yeah. two days later
0: the next day he,
1: he showed up with 16 songs and yeah. in that 16 songs was dang me uh can't roller king, skate in the buffalo herd king of the, the road last, king of the road last word in lonesome is me yeah so yeah
0: He wrote all those songs by himself.
1: Good Lord. Well, And the reason he did, you know, there's another story that when they came to him to try, to try to get him to write with Harlan Howard, his answer was Van Gogh didn't (laughs) (laughs) co-paint.
0: Two of my favorite Roger stories were, uh, and Dean and I used to hang around a lot. Dean Miller, his son. And he, lived in in la and roger and glenn campbell used to run pretty hard and he said they were in this bar and it had kind of an l-shaped bar and they were sitting down at that elbow that corner and roger said watch this to glenn he gets up and he goes down and he sees this guy sitting at the bar and he looks at the guy and goes you have any idea what i have at the other end of this bar And the guy knew who he was, so he wouldn't give him a lot of trouble. And he said, no, I don't. He said, I got a list of guys whose ass I'm going to kick. And guess what? Your name is at the top of that list. And this guy stood up, and he was like Dave Casper from the Oakland Raiders or something. He was like 6'4", 265. And Roger looked up at him and just kind of smiled and said, you know what I'm going to do now? He said, no, I don't. He said, I'm going to go down to the end of that bar, and I'm going to cross your name off that list. <laughs> but Dean said when Roger got married for the third time, he wanted to put on the inv- in the wedding invitations you are cordially invited to the wedding of Roger Miller and Mrs. Roger Miller, the <laughs> third. That's amazing. And she said, no, she wasn't not good okay at that. Dude, that That's guy, a- that, unbelievable. I remember Jeff I- called me up one time and he just said, Bart. Yeah. You can't roller skate in the Buffalo herd. I said, no, you can't. And you cannot change film with a kid on your back. All right. Love you. Click. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>
2: the, <laughs> it's the deep stuff. I thought that uh, the uh, Ken Burns country music documentary was great with Roger Miller. I thought oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I wish they wouldn't have I, stopped at 1998.
2: Uh, man. You know, that was, that was, it was a weird stop, but. um I know you got
0: to stop somewhere, but holy cow. They didn't even hardly touch on like. Garth or Clint or Alan Jackson or the Judds hardly. I mean, it's like, where did no, you? you How'd you decide to stop there?
2: Yeah, that's mm. a good question. Um, that's a question for Ken. You know, um, <laughs> well, I've been listening it, to. Too. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kip.
1: No, uh, uh, they did. They did some on the Juds.
2: They did, and on Garth. Yeah,
1: I mean, they loaded, a little bit, yeah. But it, but it wasn't. You're right. It wasn't much.
0: It wasn't as much as they did on Jimmy Rogers. And I get that Jimmy Rogers was a founding father of country music. I understand that, and one of my absolute heroes. But still, it would have been cool to kind of, kind of spread it out a little bit more to what is still even happening
2: today. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Ken. Ken is a. I mean, he's a. He's Ken Burns is very much um, about the historical aspect of things. Much the baseball documentaries, same you
1: know. Oh yeah, amazing! Did you see the Jack Johnson one? No. Oh god, that is that's a great documentary. Boxer. Yes. Jack and Johnson. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Ken Ken Burns did that (laughs) as well. Really great. Yeah, well, he's, he's incredible.
2: I mean, I I was pretty enthralled with the whole thing. The ending definitely was a little abrupt. It was great. I've been listening to um, the Dolly Parton's Amer- America podcast oh, wow! and loving that. Speaking of Roger Miller with those songs, you know, Dolly wrote um, I'll Always Love You and Jolene the same day. Oh, wow. So, in the event, you, you, if you think you're underachieving, you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and... And, and you the, always will be. <laughs> and Elvis uh, wanted to record I Will Always Love You, right? And mm-hmm. his people apparently called her and said um hey we want to record this song but the deal is that if you you know you've got to give us your publishing that's how it works you're going to be on an elvis record and thank god she told him no no he also he he also wanted to
0: cut
2: that's just the way we do it around here (laughs) yes because he was still alive when we wrote that song probably (laughs) I'm telling you, dude, like you talk about a boss, man, like she's, she's incredible. i am just, yeah. reading, just listening to her talk about, um, oh, she's, yeah, she's incredible. She
0: just got, I think 11 millionaire
2: awards. Man. And those are all hundred percenters too, man. She's, um, you no, know, she was the thing that gets me and we can get off, off of that with her. But the thing that really got me, um, was as they talked about the writing thing, Hmm. Just how prolific she was. You know, Mel, T- Mel Tillis was really killing it back then. And he was like, you know, she was this other writer in town that was suddenly writing all these songs. they he said, I couldn't keep up with her. Like every week I'd see her and there was like 20 new songs. Man. Her, you know?
0: Do you guys still have the desire to write like that?
1: To write like what?
0: To write like when we used to pull the old, like- you know, like when we used to pull that dolphin guitar out. <laughs> and
2: uh <laughs> well i'm i'm still you know i'm i'm writing uh, it kind of comes and goes in waves like i'm my calendar right now i am pretty solid into the first week of october yeah but it's just changed i mean it, it's it's is your deal um, and
0: and tell me to shut up if you don't want to talk about it but is your deal 12 full copyrights is that still a pretty standard deal
2: it is it's a standard deal. Yeah. And, Obviously, that's pretty easy to do. I mean, um, that was the thing that was cool about my record. I mean, they were all 100% rights and just things that I wanted to say. And then what I have found is that it's important to me to take the time to, um, number one, write the things that I want to write and I just do by myself. And it's not a lot of them. I do just whenever I feel it. Uh, Number two, it's important to take some days off. And then then number three... um, to honestly just treat songwriting as a business. And I hmm. think that's the thing that, you know, we all grew up in kind of a, a really sweet sort of naive spiritual era of music. I mean, those of us who grew up hmm. on 7 FM radio, um, there, there's I have the conversation with my boys all the time and there just was nothing like it. I mean, to, you know, to listen to your local pop station and it go from oh, really to the Spinners to Kiss to Boston. Santana the Santana, like all of the yeah. above. Melissa Manchester, John Denver. Wow. It was all, seriously, just all over the place. And um, so I think we came up with a sort of naivety that, um, man, I just get to do, you know, I'll just write the songs that pour out of me and it's going to all make sense. And ultimately I've kind of gotten to a place of realizing if I go in for a co-write, um, it's, I'm almost like a jingle writer. Like if I, if I'm with someone that has a connection to Luke Bryan. It's not about me processing, do I like Luke
1: songs or do I listen to his sure. records or
2: whatever? Not even positive or negative, but going, okay, I'm writing a Luke Bryan jingle. What is it he's wanting to say?
1: Yeah. yeah you're writing yeah. commercials.
2: That's right. And I'm just rationalizing that to myself from a standpoint of, um, I made a decision, you know, honestly, right before I connected with Jeff, um, I put in, applications at UPS and FedEx. I gave myself about three months to get a pub deal. I ran into him out of the blue that ended up happening. At that point, I decided it's too late for me to go back to college or something. I've got to make this work. It was just a dance. It's a weird weird dance. Um, I've had to kind of separate myself um, from friends I know that have been in the business for a long time that really You know, there's a lot of bitterness, you know, as you get old, this, you know, this business is not about older people anyway. Right. Uh, It's a young man's game. But at the same time, if you're going to stay in it, you have to kind of accept what it is and go, you know, all right, who is it on TikTok that's got a ton of followers that maybe there's something there that I could connect to? And you just can't do that all the time or you'll lose your mind. No,
0: I feel seriously that I just aged out of it and and couldn't really do that anymore. And now I write on Zoom with rock guys in LA a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of where I am. And I I listen to country radio and I just, not being the old bitter guy, but I realize I am the old bitter guy and I just don't like a lot of what's being played. And so I just kind of go, well, then you know what, I'm going to, crank a Marshall to 14 and see what happens. Yeah. And that's kind of just where I end up going.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's validity in all of that. I mean, I think a lot of it is where you come from as well. And, and uh, I was, I started in this business in in a young man's game as a young man (laughs) and was in a power rock trio and, and the thing that it was important that we did is write whatever came out because mm-hmm. that was the identity yeah. of our band. And so that's how I learned to write songs. And, I love uh, that. You, know, and you, you guys, if you listen to the, if you seen the Rick Beato uh, uh, channel before,
2: yeah, he's awesome. I yeah. love that guy.
1: Yeah. Well, he, he oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah uh,
2: he was, Bradley told me about that.
1: Yeah. Yes. He was dissecting, uh, uh, uh around 9 a.m. Uh which what's the Elton song? Oh uh going
0: on. Yeah Yeah
1: yeah Rocket so Man. Rocket Man So Yeah he was he was talking about that and and you just think about uh you know that he had to get pushback uh like like in Yellow Brick Road having a lyric that said hunting the horny back toad and and oh. his voicings were different. And so anyway, it's like, I I think that a lot of creativity comes from there. Like, I I would say one of my favorite quotes, it was from F. Scott Fitzgerald. And he said, when I try to write to a certain specification for my publisher, my pen freezes and my talent vanishes over the hill. Hmm. Scotty said that? Huh? Scotty (laughs) said that? (laughs) No, Danny said that. <laughs> no, no, uh, yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and, yeah. and and I, I always felt kind of the same way. Yeah. If I had to, if somebody said, "Go, Tim Tim McGraw's cutting next week, go in and write a song for it," I, I was stuck immediately. Yeah, that's
0: hard. My favorite days were when Jeff would come in and. He might be a minute, maybe two minutes late. I don't know. And he, the three <laughs> of us, the three of us were already there, into our fourth pot of coffee and seventh Diet Coke. And he'd go, "Boys, got an idea? Great. What? Do you, what's your idea?" And uh, oh shoot, I just lost it. Oh, Hank Williams theory. It's like, <laughs> well, that's cool. Okay, what? What are we doing with it? He goes, "I don't know." Two chords. That's all we're putting in that song. Two chords. Let's make it work. And, and 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 that was more of a challenge to me that was way more fun than Kip what you just said. Yeah. McGraw's cutting next week. Go ride a McGraw. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm just I mean, we could come up with something, but I have a feeling Hank Williams there, he's gonna be a lot cooler. <laughs> it's yeah, and, be and, and we're and, gonna have a lot more fun, the four of us.
1: Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, something else that was great about those days is, is the just the ADHD factor of it. Because oh, by the time you got to the bridge on Hank Williams Theory, <laughs> Jeffrey would have started 10 more songs. Yeah. You know? And he's so
2: fire, and it's so hard to get with him. You're going, man. If we could just finish one,
1: (laughs) man. I just
2: (laughs) just, (laughs) so bad.
1: When we wrote, when we wrote, help somebody. This is the truth. The line in the bridge of "Never Let a Cowboy Make the Coffee." That was the hook. Mm. (laughs) That was the hook. That's what we started with. Never let a cowboy make the coffee, and it evolved into that.
0: What did that mean?
1: I don't, I still don't know. So I always like to coffee.
0: say I try to make coffee strong enough to float a horseshoe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's something like that. You well, know?
1: remember the sign in Windswept at the coffee machine? No see through coffee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's how I live. Are you kidding me? You know what? That's, that's the greatness of Jeffrey, man. Like uh, the thing that he did so well is he like, he didn't get too married to any hook, any idea. I remember, dude, speaking of, I would say this on fun here. I'll never forget we did That's the Way We Do It. I remember, man, we did that. We, he recorded that song. I remember the demo. Like literally like a week later, I had written another song with him, and I went to the demo session, and, you know, my slot was like 3 o'clock, whatever, and I got there a few minutes early. And I walk in, and the song's going, I'm going like, uh, what are you recutting that? It's another <laughs> song. He's like until until it gets cut, man, it's all he said he used, you know, gotta haveable in three different songs. Yeah, yeah. And it, he's a new you know,
1: but Steal from yourself. Crazy. Hey
2: speaking of speaking of Rocket Man, have you guys seen um the classic albums thing where they talk about the making of that? Have you seen where he talks about writing that song? You guys Mm-mm. ever seen that? No. Mm-mm. You should. This is keep that for anybody listening to your podcast too. There's, there's a nobody's um, listening Danny. Well, all three people, uh, your cousins that are on here. Um, there's a thing. It used to be on VH1 Classic called Classic Albums. Yeah, like rumors, whatever, and it's great. They'll put um, um, running down a dream. It was, I think it's running down a dream. It's on mm. there anyway. On Rocket Man, they go to this little segment where they going, We're out at this castle like in france and we've moved in there and that's where we're writing and recording so it's like bernie and elton and they're writing as they go and the players are there and they're set at the studio right so so one morning for breakfast this is elton talking and he said you know i i'm sitting there and i'm eating breakfast i'm drinking coffee and bernie comes down and he hands me this lyric and then it switches to bernie talking and so he said he's looking at the lyric and then he gets up from his breakfast and he walks into the other room where the piano is and he starts going kind of planking around the piano then he starts and in real time when are you gonna come down and Mm. plays the song top to bottom with that melody in real time
3: do
0: you think I mean because we've all written I mean I don't know how many songs you guys have written I was looking back at catalogs I've written over a thousand songs which I think is quite a few but it's not that many really and I know, like when you were talking, Danny, about how we would do singles, doubles, triples every week, and there was probably some demo. I mean, there's probably, I've told Amy, I said, there's songs that we shouldn't even have finished, let alone spent the money on a demo. Sure. But do you think when guys are doing, are at that artistic level that Bernie comes down with lyrics and says, Elton, what do you think of this? Do you think they... Finish that song and just go, ah, that's that's a smash, boys. That's how you do it in the big leagues. Follow me to the bank. I
2: don't, I don't think they were thinking smash. I think they were thinking, like, I, I, well, I'll i tell you, the next scene in the classic albums, um, Elton says, it just was this interesting time, man, through that period yeah. of time. It's, he said, it's like melodically I had this antenna to God. Mm-hmm. And then it suddenly he said, it then suddenly – about 1980, whatever year you mentioned, it stopped. And he said, I've never been able to get it back. Yeah. Well, that yeah. It stopped so,
1: with I'm still standing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's, that, not
0: <laughs> that's not even a mean thing to say. I mean, that's what Hank Williams well, used to no, say. Said,
2: but I thought that was fast. I mean, yeah. I, thought, I thought about that a bunch. You talk about the prolific nature of how we were writing. Dude, just check out the Beatles career. Just look at the, the number of albums back to back to back. Doing having years where they put out three albums, did a world tour, and made two movies, and they're all like stand the test of time as classics. It's they've
0: made seven records.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean seven. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they were together. Is that right? Seven years, six years. I
0: think think that's right. But you know, Um, I mean, country used to be that way. Conway Twitty, I remember him, and I don't know why he popped into my head, but he would put out two albums a year, and there would be five singles from each album.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think you know, I think I think a lot of that a lot of that has to do with technology and the l- lack of technology back in the day. You didn't yeah. obsess over things. I mean, I know you know Kip and I both came up doing a lot of background vocals on records, and you know, man, like there was there was no thought about digital ed- digital editing or editing or tuning. Like you just had to get the part, and yeah. and then it kind of became. I remember. I don't know if you guys know this story because. I mean, maybe I told you at some point, but you know the the whole turnaround for me. I remember when Caleb, my oldest son, was 12. And, um, man, How old is he now? 29. Yeah, wait. And Brayden, Braden is 23. Brayden still every now and then he'll be sitting there, and all of a sudden he'll go, "Tommy's got a new tattoo, <laughs> like out of the blue." <laughs> <What> the <hell? laughs> I don't know why I remember that song. He must have been like three when we did it. Uh, um so great but but so i was i man i was super super broke i um was trying to figure out you know getting back in the music business i'd gotten out of it western flyer my band had ended and i was really really bitter with the business but i missed songwriting so anyway i went to one night at a baseball game one of Kayla's baseball games i went up to one of the other dads and i said um man is there any possibility you've got any work that I could do. I'm just mm-hmm. broke. I got young kids. This guy had his own like carpentry and cabinet business. So he said, I'm actually, I need somebody to tear down some walls in my warehouse. I'm putting in a new bathroom. Can you come in tomorrow and do it? So I'm in there like beating down these walls and just, you know, pissed at the world and, you know, angry, <laughs> you know, just, I'm, you know, embarrassed and, you know, prior taking a hit and my phone rings out of the blue and, um, it's Bobby Braddock. And, and I'm like, yes you know he goes he said um somebody told me that um that you do pretty well singing background vocals I was wondering if you're available next week I'm doing a record on Blake Shelton and so I'm like absolutely so we book back-to-back days of um you know union sessions really good paying things and I just remember sitting there kind of you know processing sometimes you do just need to do the right thing and work hard and take care of your family. And these doors open up. But the reason, what well, the reason I even brought it up is, you know, I remember going in the, the studio and it was me and, and, um, uh, and Wes, Why am I blanking on? High tower singing backgrounds. And dude, he's just a machine Yep. and just unlimited range. And it was, a, it, you know, you kind of wore it as a bag of uh, a badge of courage that you I sing in tune you know, I sing in time, I nail it as quickly as possible, range is not an issue, and you just try to cover all the parts, and that's kind of the world I grew up in, and I think that did, technology, for all the greatness of it, is it causes you to
1: be a little lazy, you know? Did, did you say a bag of porridge?
2: A bag of porridge? You <laughs> oh. wear it like a bag of porridge. <laughs> Have you never heard that?
0: I, I tend to wear things as a satchel of oatmeal. <laughs>
3: totally. I
0: swear I heard that in a Roger Miller record. That's That's totally, you know, it's so funny. Um, when so the, three, the three-ring circus, there you go. When the three-ring circus thing was going down and I was going down and I was pissed at everybody for no reason in particular than my own insecurity. I remember being so mad at you, Danny. You were in the studio doing vocals and while you were absolutely nailing these parts, you were also just texting with your thumb, just going a million miles an hour. I don't even, you just, it's just like, but you were just slamming. And I just, I just couldn't wait for you to screw up so I could
2: jump you. And you never did because you were just awesome. And I just Dude, it everybody, everybody's got their little thing, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I, we just grew up doing that. Kip's the same way, man. Like you just, yep. Just, you get it. You know. Dude, you know what's,
0: what's so funny is because I've talked to Wes a lot and Russell Terrell a lot, and Russell is, you know, no alcohol, no tobacco, no sugar. I mean, he's got this whole list, and Wes is like, give me two shots of Jack and a bag of potato chips, and I'll smoke all of you. <laughs> and it's like, no, so, so, so do you guys have any, any throat tricks or any things you you stay away from or that you gravitate towards
1: mm. uh, well you do the, you i do, don't do you I, do the I potato do.
0: chip thing seriously
1: no, no but seriously that that is a real thing yeah uh the yeah. First, again slos is the first person that i ever heard talk about that it, he said that Was his chips. reference
2: amy grant kip what's that now was his reference amy grant doing it or no
1: no uh, uh, he i just knew that he did it a lot you know when we were working on our on our i got it out at, out at the castle and he would just say that it added high end to his voice
0: i got it from wes and i know wes turned straight onto it and when i was out with uh, fgl for two years
2: they would do that before every show amy, amy grant's the first one i heard like i've never heard that you're talking about it and yeah because it greases throat. i mean ultimately yeah. I, lost, I lost my voice during uh, my band's radio tour and that was the first time and i didn't drink at all back then but i drank a lot of coffee and um and you know i got acid reflux and kind of learned about it. it was like you know uh get rid of the spicy foods drink a lot of water blah 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 so i did that um for a bit. Now I kind of, this Well, this is a great example of what I'm talking about. I don't worry about that as much. I don't like, I don't treat my voice like necessarily like a singer. I've kind of developed a style that I do and I make all these demos at home and I have pro tools and I can edit, you know, digitally mm-hmm. like old Kip does. And it's like ultimately doing demos, it does create a laziness. Like I get a good chorus, I'll fly that to the second chorus and,
1: right. you, know, and it,
2: it, you simplify everything because you're trying to be quick as well. And on records, I'm a little bit more particular, but, um, you know, no, but I, but I will say, man, if I was on, if I was singing background vocals all the time, or if I was on the road all the time, I, I don't, some of these guys who like stay out all night and drink and, do, oh, I don't know yeah. how you do no. I, could, I could never do it. Mm-mm. That's what, I guess that's what the cocaine's for, from what they, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I found I mean you we're right now we're just talking about, you know, the potato chip thing, but when you're talking about um the emotional side bonds. of it, you can't beat heroin.
2: <laughs> That's true. That is the so truth. You just if, if, can't you have beat the budget it. For it. If you have the budget for it. <laughs> those, those are 80s and 90s label days. You
0: know, I I never like cocaine, but I always kind of like the smell. But anyway, <laughs> Uh <laughs> so would you guys I've kept you guys an hour and I guess
2: Jeffrey's not.
0: <laughs> I remember one time this is so perfect,
2: by the way. Exactly like him to like sign in, in about five minutes. <laughs> right. Okay,
0: yeah. so I was writing with Jeff and Tim uh oh shoot, used to be the lead singer for uh Little Texas, Tim Rushlow. Rushlow. And we were writing on a Monday and a Tuesday. Well, Monday comes, and it's just me and Tim, and we write, I think, two songs. Tuesday comes, <laughs> I get a phone call about 11.30 in the morning, and it's Jeff. He's like, dude, I'm going to be a little late Monday. I go, you know Monday was yesterday, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so anyway, so would, would you guys do my lightning round, the thinking and drinking lightning round? Sure. This is just I'm going to ask a question and just both just whatever pops into your head. I don't even care what it is.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's an answer
3: but
0: Boys, what's your favorite book?
1: Great Gatsby.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. probably the power of now. Power of what? The power of now.
1: Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah, it's great.
0: Are you a bath or a shower guy?
1: Shower. Yes. <laughs>
0: What's the last gift you gave someone?
1: Go, Danny. Tequila. What well, do you got? Uh, zero water container.
0: Nice. What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a T-shirt?
1: Oh, you're gonna
2: love this. <laughs> there's, there's two different answers because I grew it's up share,
0: in and it's a snap oh. into the crotch T-shirt, and it's pink. <laughs>
2: I grew up I grew up in Southern gospel music. So my first concert, it was like the cathedral quartet, Happy Goodman family, probably the Oak Ridge boys when they okay. were gospel. But my first secular, which means non-gospel to lay people out there. My first secular concert was Olivia Newton John. I was nice. twelve years old. This was not like let's get physical. This is, you know, I honestly love you, Olivia Newton John. And Paul Williams opened. Nice. And no, wow. no t-shirt, but I did, wow. I did drool a lot.
1: I did not get a t-shirt. My first concert was um, Elton John at the Omni in Atlanta in 1974 wow. with my Dang. sister and uh, the twins, Michael and Cindy Sneed. <laughs> dude, it's all downhill from the first concert with Elton John. Yes, dude, it was.
0: My first concert without parents was my brother and I went and saw Molly Hatchet in, <laughs> in Hastings, Nebraska. And I remember <laughs> on a session with, uh, who is uh, Keith Urban's drummer?
2: Chris Vickie.
0: Yes, Chris. Chris you, was the drummer you. on this session. And after about four songs, I just kind of muttered under my breath, would it kill you boys to play a little Molly Hatchet?" And without even missing a beat, he just leans into his snare mic and goes, What do you think we've been playing all day long?
2: <laughs> that's funny.
0: Okay, my, so what?
2: Hey, my, my, my first concert without my parents was uh, DeGarmo and Key and Russ Taff. <laughs> oh, wow. I
0: almost killed one of those guys, but that's a, that's a story, story for another day. Um, what's I your favorite rest half <laughs> it wasn't Russ. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is your favorite song that you've wrote or sang on? Doesn't have to be a hit. It's just something that really means something to you. Mm.
2: Man, I've got a song on my new record called God as a gun that I really, really am proud of uh, the, Probably my favorite thing I've ever written. And, um, love the vocal on it, on the whole thing. It's Pretty deep and intense, but proud of that one. Yeah.
0: Can you send it to me?
2: Sure. I'll send it to you.
0: Can you send me yeah. Eckhart Toll has a gun? <laughs> <laughs> I can.
2: I can. <laughs> or Prince, whoever you see is God. So. <laughs> what about you, Kip?
1: Oh, wow. Um, let's see, you know, um, I, I would have to say that it's probably uh one of these days, Tim McGraw, Oh, man. Um yeah. uh and uh, with uh Marcus Hummin and Monty Powell. Hmm. Um and uh we uh, we also wrote three songs that day. Wow. Um and it was it was a really, really uh really great time. Yeah.
2: Hmm. So, My second was truck. Yeah. Tim McGraw.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, what song do you wish you would have written or sang on? It could be the national anthem or amazing grace. Mine would be truck. Yeah. By
1: Tim McGraw. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, besides, besides, um, just the way we do it around here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute! He did write that. We did write that. Um, <laughs> let it be. Have to be. Let it be. Oh yeah.
0: man, that's a giddy. Yeah, man. And, and, are...
1: and the and the uh, what's his name? The uh, who's the guy that that killed his girlfriend? That was the big producer. Uh, oh, Spectre. Yeah. Uh, and the the Phil Spector version. Uh,
0: I would take the Johnny Rotten version. He also killed his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no wait it wasn't johnny rotten sid vicious i'm sid sorry vicious, Holy yeah. crap! i'm gonna get beat up sorry my johnny way out of
2: here. sorry johnny you're a fine fella uh, here's johnny uh that's tough man my my favorite song since it came out i would have consistently said is heart of the matter by don henley mm. me and a a yeah. it's a great record it's a I mean, yeah, great record it's a great record So
0: somebody brought up Gordon Kennedy earlier and Gordon had a song on Don Henley's last album and Don Henley asked for Gordon to come in and play on it. So Gordon was, you know, okay, I'll go play. He's a fair guitar player. And uh, there was a lull in the playback and Gordon says to Don Henley, man, I just want to thank you for all the wonderful music you gave us. And Don Henley looks at him and goes, I didn't give you anything. I sold it to you. And he just turned around and walked off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's we really thought we were jaded. <laughs> yeah. It's really but funny, man.
2: He's been, he has always been the guy that I've had people ask me for years. Even <laughs> that, I'm like, no, I've avoided it like the plague, man. I've heard <laughs> like I just don't want I don't want to have my Don Henley diss me story.
0: Dude, how, how funny is that, though? I mean, I remember after I got to know Ricky Medlock from Leonard Skinner and Blackfoot and stuff, he's a dear, dear, dear friend. We were sitting here, and we'd just gotten up, and we're drinking coffee in the kitchen, and I said, you have any idea how scared I was to meet you? Now, knowing what a sweet, gracious guy he is, he just looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said no because if you would have been a jackass, do you know how much music that would have screwed up for me? Mm-hmm. And he just looked at the floor and went, I wish I'd never met Jaco Pastorius.
3: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: it's like you know, it's you got to be careful if you're going to meet your heroes, man, cuz they mm. may they might disappoint you. Yep. Yeah,
2: man, that's a bummer. I've al- yeah. I've always been I've always been that way with Henley, man. I've heard so many stories and I, you know, I love the music. <laughs> You know what are you going to do? You know the you know the speaking of three ring circus. You know the uh, the Tim James story about meeting Jimmy Buffett. No. no,
3: I, I
0: got no. a Tim James
2: story that I can't tell you, but Tim, I've got a bunch of those.
1: I got a Bart <laughs> Almond story I can't tell you. No,
0: no, we're not going to tell that one. I'm a different man, kid.
2: Different. And, uh, Tim uh, got an ASCAP award for his song uh, "My List" that oh, Toby Keith yeah. had. Five week, number one. And um, that particularly, I don't know what ASCAP does. I'm a BMI guy. And I, I know they do the icon, but they did the, you know, whatever they do that's like the icon. And it was Jimmy Buffett that year. And so, you know, they did the whole thing. You're hanging. Everybody's drinking. It's one of those nights you're hanging. But you get to the end of the night. And so Tim walks out. And Tim loves Jimmy Buffett. He, he loved Come Monday. And he was like really a fan of his songwriting, not just a parrothead. And so they get outside, and Tim and his wife are standing outside on the curb. And it's you know they put they give the valet guy their ticket. So he looks up, and Jimmy Buffett comes up right next to him, gives the other valet. So they're going to have like you know three or four minutes standing there side by side. And he's always wanted to meet him. And he goes, and he's wearing his medal, right? His ASCAP you know song medal. He goes, yeah, Mr. Buffett, my name is Tim James, and you know I just wanted to say hello. You know I'm a songwriter, and kind of pointed at his medal. You know. Got an award tonight and all this, but I just want you to know, man. I've like just been a fan of yours since I was a kid. You're one of the reasons I wanted to be a songwriter. I love your music, blah blah blah. And he's like, "Well, thank you very much." And So he goes, "Man, would you mind if I get a quick picture?" You know, my wife's right here. And he goes, uh, "Man, I'm kind of all pictured out." <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <laughs> and so he said no, and then they had to stand there for like two minutes and wait on Val. <laughs> what <an> asshole! <laughs> like, like his. Okay, uh, <laughs> this cell phone picture. And it's like, okay, we'll just stand here then. And, okay, take-
0: in uncomfortable yeah. silence. My favorite uh, award show my, uh, mo- uh, moment, sorry, was we got something. I don't remember what it was for. It was a BMI award, and uh, oh, it was it was the year that Jeff got Writer of the Year. So we okay. were going to that party for Jeff. Yes. yes. And um, over by
1: Sunset Grill. right? Yes. Yes. Yep.
0: And right before we left, I told Amy, I go, man, I have to, I really need to go to the bathroom. I said, it's just right up, you know, let me just run up these stairs. And I go up there, like you said, got the medal on, whatever. And there was a guy standing outside the men's bathroom. And I was like, well, this menacing fellow doesn't look very nice. But he looked down and he saw my my medal. And I said, I got to go, man. So I walked in and Willie (laughs) – Willie's just zipping up at the urinal, and he turns around, and he goes, "Hey, man!" and puts his hand out. And I'm like, "Oh, man, what, what, what can I do? It's freaking Willie Nelson, man." <laughs> like, hey, nice, nice to meet you. He said, "Congratulations!" And then he walks out, <laughs> and I'm like, "Are you not gonna wash your hands, dude?" I'm gonna wash mine before I go to the bathroom because
2: this is just icky. I, I can I can top that. It's not <laughs> Willie Nelson. It's not Willie Nelson, but dude, when I was in Western Flyer, we uh, we had this song called She Should've Been Mine. Great band, this, by the way. Thank you. We had this big set of vocal thing at the end that I did and all Horrible publicist. Great band. Anyway, that's right. <laughs> anyway. Um I go in the bathroom at at a uh, Opryland Hotel, you know, where they used to do the um, the radio seminar. So I go in the bathroom and I'm standing in a urinal, and suddenly the guy next to me goes, "Hey, are you uh, are you Danny from Western Flyer?" I say, "I am." And I look over and it's it's Ty Herndon, who had what you know what mattered most, which was a big song, and and he goes, "Dude, you are one singing son of a bitch." And he reaches his hand over. Oh, the the and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna say? I mean, he's a great, he's a good dude. Man. He's I've a great singer,
0: play. but knowing now what right. we know now, well, and this is this is before that. So <laughs> yeah. and I just, I've had nightmares.
2: <laughs> no. no, I'm just kidding. All
0: right. So, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And I don't mean this podcast. <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
1: Watching Gilligan. Mean? Oh, Gilligan!
0: Oh, come on, man! You know Alan Hale had a restaurant in L.A. called Alan Hale's Bucket or Barrel of Lobster. How about that?
2: That's great. Alrighty, There's your funny little well, <laughs> Gilligan it's fact. Not, it's not off the music thing, but as far as the music business, honestly, man, that, I could I could honestly see myself living in some on, on a Caribbean island, playing cover songs in a bar, and living cheap. I could do that.
0: You'd be okay with that?
1: I'd be okay with that. Hmm.
0: And Kip um, would be watching Gilligan, so that's...
1: that's I, I would I would yeah. be living in the duplex next to Danny, uh, but writing novels. But,
2: but yeah. also playing djembe every night and doing back- With gumbo.
1: Danny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Especially if, if you had a djembe with a dolphin on it.
2: And our, our, our set list would be all Jimmy Buffett and Tim James songs.
0: That's right. Oh man.
3: <laughs>
2: That'd be a short set.
0: All back. <laughs> so Kip, have you yes, have sir. have you written a book?
1: Uh yes, I have. Uh I've written a book called The Ink Stain. And um Great. At least the part I read, it's great. Uh is that the yeah. one
0: about Vietnam?
1: Um there, I remember. I, used... a, I think there's a chapter in it okay. that has to do with Vietnam. the yeah, The guy is a Vietnam vet.
0: Okay, I remember yeah. reading that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, old Jerry Lovell is the protagonist. gum Jerry! Yeah, such a great mm-hmm. southern boy name. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, so what are you fellers listening to these days?
1: Well, apparently, mm-hmm. I was the last one to the. Uh,
0: you say Jimmy Buffett and Tim James, I'm going to yeah. slap myself.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tim,
0: Tim uh,
2: James demos.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whenever – I always show up at Tim James sessions whenever he's done. and That's what I'm listening to these days. Um, I was the last one to the Dirty Loops party. Oh, yeah. And the, those guys are kind of freaking me out right yeah. now. Yeah. So –
2: I'm all over the place, man. I mean, I I love pretty much everything Jason Isbell does. There's a pop kind of hip hop artist named Miguel. I really, really love. Um, Other than that, man, it's a lot of sports radio
1: and podcasts. Hmm. What about you, Bart?
2: Um,
0: Some of that, I kind of find myself going back. Excuse me. Amy and I, when we drive she'll pull up 80s radio and we play a little game and she'll play a song and I have to say who the artist is, what the name of the song is, and what label they were on. And wow. sometimes, I mean, I'll go like 30 for 35 and she'll just look at me like, "You are? how do you know this stuff? I go, Dude, that's when I was working in the biz, yeah. 80s and 90s. But I don't, <clears throat> I would say I still... I mean, I'm still a frustrated, frustrated superhero guitar player, and I always have my Steves, which are Stevie Ray Vaughan, Steve Vai, Steve Lukather, Steve Stevens, and then I'll pull Steve Morse, and then I'm I'm always trying to dissect uh, Michael Landau's stuff, you know, and and there's there's. Nothing redeemable about that, because I can't play like those guys, but it that that stuff still just just takes my mind in a in another world, you know, and I just yeah. i can't I used to have two reactions to every concert I saw: one is I would go home and practice, and two, I would go home and sell everything <laughs> and now <laughs> and now I just go, Ah man. Freaking Steve Morris, man! Look at, mm. listen that's to that great, guy. I can't do that, great, that so I'm just great, not gonna do that.
2: That's a great pers- though, Bart. That's awesome. I mean, it, it's like it's like if you're a painter, you know, and it's the Van Goghs of the world. It's like, and I think that's you know, it's incredibly cool trying
1: to break that down. And he didn't co paint. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, no, Roger. Ain't no, Robert, no, but who is he? But you Be-
0: did have to talk into the right side of his head. <laughs> Just
1: saying. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, the the uh, the Stevie Ray Vaughn, I, I, I can't hear his name without thinking about three sixteen. Like every time I'm watching oh, a football game gosh. and I see somebody holding up John three sixteen. Yeah. I think about three minutes and sixteen seconds mm-hmm. into Little Wing. Wing. Oh my goodness. When I
2: think of Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think of <laughs> I think of being a dad and a baseball coach and Caleb won we won the city <laughs> championship in Hendersonville. I hauled ass to Douglas Corner I met <laughs> Kip and Rob McNally to play yeah. a game. And you know remember Little <laughs> So we played Little <laughs> Women, and we got done and Rob McNally goes. The first gig we've ever played with him. And he goes, Some of y'all wonder how we're able to do that. That's just how badass we are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because we're so badass. And before oh that God. very gig, uh, they were playing uh this new windswept group over the speakers, and I don't remember who they were, but Neither does they, anyone else. they were gonna be there that that night. And uh And Rob turns to me as he's plugging up his gear and he goes, Who is that? And I said, Oh, it's this guy and this woman from LA and they're really, really nice. I met them the other day. And uh he goes he goes, Oh yeah, well I hate (laughs) him.
0: He is one of
3: a kind, man. That's so good.
0: No, dude, there's just there's just those those cats that I just I listen to over and, and over and over and I I never get tired of it, and like I said, old bitter Bart listens to country radio, but I don't hear a whole a whole lot of stuff that makes me go, "Who the crap is that?" I'm gonna go home and buy that record. I'd I'd much rather go home and listen to Busy Bee Cafe by Marty Stewart, you know, and and just be enthralled by. It's funny, man. I just uh, saw an interview with him and he says my whole life is about authenticity and he says i hate that word and he said i understand authenticity means something completely different to me than it does to taylor swift he says not taking anything away from taylor swift but our levels our our authenticity are completely different things and that's kind of what i mean i'll be 56 here in a couple of months that's kind of where i just live and would I like to have two number ones this year, five number ones this year? Absolutely. But I'm much more interested in writing and, or being a part of something that feels authentic to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, I used to go um, for a period of time. I lived um, in 12 South. And so I used to walk up to 12th street tap or a mm-hmm. good would have been in like 2008 to 12, 13, 14, right in there. <clears throat> and uh, man, I remember every Wednesday night from like 7 to 10 p.m. The Kenny Vaughn Trio would play oh, at 12 Street Tap Room, and it's Kenny Vaughn and a like little stripped-down trap set drummer and an upright bass player. And I used to go sit in there, man, and just drink craft beer and watch these guys, yeah. and just look around at the people just walking around. Oblivious, all the new people that are in the cool neighborhood, <laughs> in Nashville, are going. Like, you don't understand. This is the best band in the world tonight. You, you don't. W- you don't get it. <laughs> and they're playing with a little bucket, a tip bucket. <laughs> Kenny Vaughn, man. That's like that's that that is the part of Nashville that I really really do love. Yeah. Every and then you catch those things. And Guthrie Trap used to play there once a week, and, and or yeah, I don't know if you're a Kenny Wayne Shepherd guy at all, but I got to. Um, I started I met him through a manager buddy and me and him and Dylan Altman started writing. I've had like four cuts on each of the last three Kenny Wayne records. And that just that guitar thing. Yeah. Those are great conversations because he really, really honors, you know, Stevie Ray and really all those guitar players. He yeah. was part of the um, it's the Jimi Hendrix tribute yeah. thing that went around years ago. But anyway, man, sitting in a room with guys like him when you're doing the work tape (laughs) and it's like time for the solo and it's just like, no, no, no. Keep soloing. This is cool. He realized that my old attorney got him out of
0: jail for a heroin bust one time. Really? Yeah.
2: Wow. He's not that guy anymore. I can tell you that. No. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Interesting dude. He's got like 71 kids and he's, you know.
0: No, none of those guys are that guy anymore. Blood. They're either dead or they're clean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True. Yeah. Well,
2: well, man, do,
1: do we want to um, do we want to try this again without Jeffrey?
2: <laughs> I thought you were going to ask him. If we want to shame Jeffrey. <laughs> no, I just
0: wanted to say I, I miss you guys so much and I love you guys so much. And you're such a huge part of my life. And I'm so thankful for you. And, man, if it wasn't for Trace Atkins and Amy telling me to do this, we wouldn't have done this. So
2: thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much, man.
1: Thanks, Amy. Love, it. Love thank you, Mark. You. Thank
2: you, Amy. Thank Love you, Mark. you, Dan. Hey, how was – you too, Kip. I was in – real quick on the Trace Atkins thing. I was in Vegas in March. And my buddy, Chris Alderman, I mentioned that is the management company with Deluge. He had been tour managing for Blake. And he's like, hey, do you want to come over to a Blake Shelton show? I'm like, sure. So I go and I'm hanging backstage and, you know, I saying backgrounds for Blake. And I got to know him a little bit back then. So we're saying hello. And I'm standing there talking to him and Trace happens to walk up. Hmm. And a friend of mine who was at BMG, um, I don't know, probably eight, nine months ago, had told me that he was cutting just the way we do it around here. But I didn't, I didn't know if that happened. I didn't, would like, I never heard anything else about it. So anyway, he walks up and I you
0: told just, him you wrote it by yourself.
2: I did. I, said, <laughs> I wrote the song, uh, 2 AM, you know, really inspired. Um, but I said, man, me and some buddies, wrote, uh, I think we have a song that you recently cut and I told him what it was. He goes, Oh my God. He called his wife over and he goes, I can't remember her name, which I hate. She was so, so sweet. And he goes, Danny's one of the writers on Just The Way We Do It. And she goes, mm-hmm. oh, my God, that's my favorite song on the record. It's so good. That song is such a hit. And he said, and he said we're putting it out as our next single. And this was in March. Damn. So I kept on going. I was, you know, was going to let you guys know, just waiting to see when it comes out. And then he put out another song like three weeks later. I'm like, I'm lying, son of a <laughs> Anyway,
0: makes yeah. a man such a suck
1: ass. <laughs> I was just about to ask <laughs> if I was the only one that remembered that that story.
0: Hey, in all seriousness, I, I, every interview I've seen of Trace or read that thing that you know he keeps talking about how Louisiana and Cajun influence that song is. Do you remember any of us thinking? There was you any know, I, sort of—I mean, the way he cut it, the—you the, you, the, know—the shuffling snare
2: drum and stuff. I get it, but I don't remember us thinking that. I—I I remember. I remember in the room, kind of messing with the sort of the the cassette, or not the cassette, the snare, uh, kind of groove. <laughs> a bit. I don't know what I was thinking about. I was thinking <laughs> about Capes is what I was thinking
1: about. Um,
2: I remember. Right. I remember the the Dixie Chicken re- reference. I remember. Oh, the, okay. Okay. Yeah. Chad Cromwell, you know, wasn't it? yeah was that's, it Chad that's exactly right that's exactly yeah. right. Was it Chad? okay yeah that would yeah. explain how behind the beat everything was because mm-hmm. that's his I, I, yeah, I re- wonderful I remember, signature uh, i remember jeffrey i think it was because he had had something in the water was talking about that sort of like uh, okay that beat thing and so when he was talking about the demo i remember him saying something that like, it'd be fun to have like a little bit of that sort of dixie chicken sort of thing cool but i guess that's it but it's a fun song. It's 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 uh, really really amazing. I remember for a period of time it was like every time we would see Steve or Cliff it was like, "Man, is anybody pitching that song? I can't believe nobody's cut it." And you, I guess you guys saw the comment yeah. that Cliff did that it's easily the most pitched song in the Windswept catalog.
0: Man, and I don't know who played guitar on The Trace. Rob McNally played it. Was it Rob? I mean, he just Rob. nailed that solo, just note for note for note for note. And it, it's so good, man, because that, that is such a signature part of that song to me. Yeah. That I love that. I'm,
2: that's cool that Rob did that. That's really cool. Yeah. And he might have played on the demo. I don't remember. He was yeah. just getting into I, I had just met him during that time. And yeah, I don't I remember, remember either. Everything, because Cliff was a fan of his. and yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that's great, man. Good for Trace. I mean, <laughs> and you never know, man. It would, be, it would be great to see that have a little bit of a life. It'd be fun.
0: I remember uh, Rob played on one of my sessions, and I can't remember who the engineer is. I could see his face, but I just said, I don't really like his tone on that song. And he went after the session and said, Hey, Rob, yeah, that was great. But Bart says he doesn't like your tone and he would never work with me again. I go, That's <laughs> not what I said, dude. I said I didn't like on that. I Rob, worked like a marshal instead of a fender. That's all I was saying. Rob still
2: whole thing is tone. Like he said, whole thing is tone.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's funny. All right. Love you, boys. Love you too, man. It's good to, you good too, to guys. You. Good to hear you, Kip. Let's right, do this too, again. And
0: Kip, man, if you ever uh, if you need anything, you make sure and and call Danny because I'm not going to do nothing.
1: Oh, I knew that. <laughs> and, and in fact, uh, in fact, there. I'm I'm just going to call Jeffrey because Danny <laughs> be won't either.
2: No, no, Jeffrey will be there. I would count on that.
1: That's right. He he he, uh, he,
2: he might be a a little late, but he'll I be there. I would give him a time and a date about three (laughs) days ahead of the meeting. We'll be there.
1: Okay. All right. Sounds great.